want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear Podcast. My name is Nate Aiken, the host of the podcast with my brother John. We also have with us today, again, Peyton Hill and Jeff Hay, and uh, we have taken almost a year break in between uh, the last podcast and this one. Uh, Samson is just that difficult, so we've had to give... No, uh, we've had a lot going on. We've been kind of re, uh, refocusing what the direction of Christ-Centered and Clear will be. We'll talk more about that uh, in future podcasts. Uh, but just for for now, suffice it to say, Christ Center and Clear is going to be mainly focused on three things. Uh, that would be the podcast, uh, future books. Uh, in fact, we'll talk a little bit about have John talk about his, and then uh, one day conferences. And so, podcast books, conferences, uh, and we're going to give all of our attention in fall of 2022 into 2023 uh, to wisdom literature. After we finish Judges, uh, we'll even have a conference tentatively planning for December in Dallas. Um, but that is kind of the direction that Christ-Centered and Clear is going. John, you want to talk a little bit about the the book that uh, we're hoping to release again this fall? It's going to be kind of a re-release, but talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, we're going to do an updated version of Preaching Christ from Proverbs. I'm trying to finish that up now. Uh, with school year starting you know, at Carson Newman, it's difficult to find time, and I'm teaching to time, find time to write. But it's going to be... Um, the book that I released several years ago, but an updated version with more, uh, uh, with a more in-depth look at how Proverbs itself is pointing forward to the Messiah. And a lot of the the first edition was looking back at how the New Testament uh, helps us interpret Proverbs, and so a little bit more of that. Um, yeah. And so looking forward to it, just showing how uh, it's 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 pointing to this hope for a king who's going to reign in wisdom and establish the kingdom. That's great. Yeah. And then again, our conference in the, in the fall moving into the, to the winter will be on wisdom literature as well as we'll give a lot of attention to Proverbs and some other wisdom literature on the podcast. And let me just say uh, this so too. Be, can I, can I yeah. jump in? Just, just yeah. one of the things that's important to, to recognize is that what Proverbs is teaching, again, when we talk about it pointing to a future king, it's what Proverbs is doing is Solomon's training his son in wisdom, because he's he's basically saying, listen, you cannot be the king that you need to be unless you are first the son that you need to be, the husband that you need to be, the father, the worker, the friend, uh, and so forth. And so it, it really does have uh, incredible application to our lives, uh, but application in uh, our identity in Christ and not around and just, you know, self-effort. So we'll talk about that some. Well, so we're going to jump back into Judges and talk about Samson. We have, again, Peyton Hill, pastor in Alabama, Jeff Hay, pastor in Dublin, and that is not Dublin, Georgia, that is Dublin, Ireland, uh, for those of you scoring. He's the voice of Christ-Centered and Clear. Uh, Jeff, always good to have you back. And so today, uh, we're going to begin looking at the a, a pretty you know famous narrative uh, in the Old Testament and in Judges in particular. Uh, but looking at uh, the, the life of Samson. Uh, typically with this podcast, we kind of look at summary and explanation, any textual issues that arise, then then obviously we talk about the Christ-centered connection, and then the clear part of Christ-centered and clear is how do you apply this to our lives? We don't just want to see 
uh, Christ in the scriptures, we do, but we want to see Christ in the scriptures in a way in which we can make that clear for why uh, the, the Lord has, uh, has inspired the writers of the Old Testament to write in this way, and even the New Testament, so that we can apply uh, both the, the person and work of Christ to our lives. So let's jump in. John, uh, give us—you're going to start off with summary, and then Peyton and, and Jeff can clean up whatever you, you, don't, you don't do or whatever you mess up. So give us a summary about the life of Samson. I'm sure I'll mess up a lot. Um, so, so basically, what you have happening is these cycles, right, where the people of Israel fall into idolatry, and then um, they're given over to a foreign power, and they're under oppression. They cry out to God. He raises up a judge. The judge rescues them. They follow him and the Lord as long as that judge is alive. And then when he dies, they go back into that, that pattern. And what we're seeing here at the end of the book with the last judge that we're going we're gonna to meet is this cycle is also a spiral down so that things are getting worse and worse. And you see deviations from the cycle, and that's uh, also a key for interpreting what's happening here. And so what happens in chapter 13 is that the Israelites, again, do evil in the sight of the Lord, and so they're given into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Okay, so again, this hearkening back to the wilderness uh, wandering. And so the Lord's going to raise up a savior uh, out of the tribe of Dan, which is going to be interesting when we get to the end of the book. Um, we see the the spiritual condition of the Danites. Um, but this this woman who's married to a guy named Manoah is barren. She cannot have children. And so again, when you see that, can't somebody, a woman who can't have children, uh, oftentimes in the scriptures, that that's a marker that something significant and miraculous is about to happen. And so uh, an angel uh, appears to uh, the woman and tells her that she is going to have a child and uh, that he is to be a Nazarite uh, or to take a Nazarite vow uh, from, from the womb, which means uh, can't drink uh, alcohol, can't eat anything unclean, not to cut his hair, um, and, and not, also Nazarites are not supposed to come into contact with dead things. And, um, and, and the angel says that he's going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then there's all kinds of things uh, that happen in chapter 13 where the Lord, um, you know, confirms this and, and appears to them again. Uh, but then she conceives and bears Samson, and Samson uh, grows and is blessed by the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord uh, begins to come upon him and, and work on him. And then in chapter 14, we see that Samson, as a young man, is beginning to spend time in Philistine territory. Now, we'll, we'll probably get into this when we talk about interpretation. There are, people, there are scholars who see Samson as all bad, and then there are some scholars, very, is a, a rare exception, who sees Samson as all good, and that everything he was doing was motivated by trying to take down the Philistines. I would take a mediating position. I'm interested to hear what Jeff and Peyton uh, say, but I know Jeff is going to say that he's awful, um, <laughs> but just uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, we shall see. But what's interesting in chapter 14 is that he sees a Philistine girl and he begins to like her and he tells his parents to go get her uh, as his wife, and uh, his his parents try to object at first. Can't you marry a nice Israelite girl? 
And it's really, I think, instructive uh, to Jeff's point that the response that Samson has is get her for me because she is right in my eyes. And the sin of Israel throughout the book of Judges is described as doing what is right in their own eyes. There's no king in Israel. Every man that was right in his own eyes and not doing right in the eyes of the Lord. And so now we see Samson is looking like the people that he's supposed to save. And so he's, he's operating in that kind of a way. And so his, his, his father and mother uh, eventually relent. Then we're given this episode where um, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him when he's, when he's uh, attacked by a lion, a roaring lion, and uh, he tears it apart the way a person would tear up a young goat, which is an interesting phrase also because I, I don't know uh, what tearing up a young goat, <laughs> I don't know if that was a normal behavior, but uh, apparently it was. And so he, he treated the lion in that same way. It was normal enough that and they then, knew what he was talking about. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that was like a, a, a ritual you went through to get like enter into manhood. I don't know. Um, might need to return to that. We got some <laughs> some uh, some soft. We got a soft generation here, but um, but what ends up happening is he goes into this um, this vineyard where he had he had um, killed the lion a number of days after, um, and the lion's carcass is there, and there's a swarm of bees that has um, made honey, uh, uh, you know, created a honeycomb and and honey there in the in the corpse. He scrapes it out and eats it, which is a, you know, a little indicator. He's violating his Nazarite vow. He's he's come into contact with dead things, um, and, and so we just see a little glimpse of that here. Uh, and then he has the uh, the wedding feast with this with this woman, and um, the uh, the people, the Israel, the, the the Philistine people, excuse me brought out these 30 uh, companions to be with him. Uh, Samson tries to play this game where he's going to have this riddle that he puts uh, during the, the days of feasting and they have to figure it out. And, um, you know, if, if, he, if they can figure it out, he's going to give them 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes that if they can't figure it out, then they're going to give those things to him. And so he puts, puts the riddle. And we see again this pattern where his wife begins to nag uh, him to the point where he gives the answer, and um, when he when he gives the when she gives the answer to the guys, and they beat Samson in this challenge, uh, it angers him, and the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, and he goes down to Ashkelon, and he strikes down thirty men of the town, and takes their spoil, takes their garments, and then gives those away to the guys who had won the challenge, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions, the guy who'd been his best man. Okay, so then in chapter 15, um, he goes back to try to find his wife, and her father says, you can't come in, and I thought you had given up on her, so I gave her to your companion. This ticks Samson off again, and um, so he, he kind of gets his, his vengeance by, he, he catches 30 fox, foxes and takes torches and puts them in, uh, ties them in their tails, uh, in a pair of tails, and then um, sets fire to the torches and lets the fox go uh, in the standing grain, and it burns down the Philistines' uh, farm field. And uh, when the, they find out who did it, the uh, Philistines, who are, again, a ruthless and awful bunch, they take um, his 
his ex-wife and her father, and they burned them with fire. Um, and, uh, and then the Philistines come, which is another interesting episode, and convince the people of Judah to betray Samson and to hand him over. Um, and uh, they, so they, they do that. They betray Samson. They bind him. They hand him over to the Gentiles. Um, and then, again, uh, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He, he tears off the ropes, takes a, a donkey's jawbone, and kills a thousand men. And then he begins to taunt them. He, he has this poem that he does that's kind of like a, uh, some people call it like a, a, a rapper, a, a rap battle that, he, that he's doing. Um, and then another interesting uh, thing that makes us see that the Lord is still operating and working in Samson's life he, he becomes thirsty uh, and to the point where he almost faints and he, he feels like he's about to die uh, and be, and the, the Philistines are going to overtake him. And then God opens up um, water from a rock that comes out uh, and he drinks it and his spirit is revived. And then the text tells us that he judges Israel for 20 years. And then in chapter 16, he, um, he puts himself in harm's way by visiting a prostitute in Gaza uh, again, there the people who try to be positive are saying that he wasn't there to do what guys do with prostitutes. I don't know that the the language of the text makes that a real uh, viable option. Uh, but when he is again vulnerable, and then they're they're trying to to lay siege on him, he he tears off uh, the doors of the city at night, and then and then walks them miles uh, to Hebron, which would have been an incredible feat. And then finally, he, he, he falls in love with a woman named Delilah, um, a Philistine woman named Delilah, and she seduces him, and they, they convince her to betray him for silver to figure out where his strength comes from. And uh, so she tries to, to, to figure it out. Um, he tells her something that's not true. She does it. The Philistines come in to, to capture him. He throws them off because he still has his strength. And then this happens, this happens three times. And then the fourth time, she's like, you know, nagging and crying, you don't love me. If you really love me, you'd tell me. And he finally says, well, if you cut off my hair, I'll become like any other man. And surprise, surprise, she does that. <laughs> and um, Samson doesn't know that the Lord has left him. The Philistines come in. They, um, they capture him. They uh, blind him, and they make him a prisoner in Gaza to grind at the mills. Um, but the text tells us the hair of his head begins to grow. The Philistine rulers decide to throw a party to show um, their victory over uh, the champion of the Israelites and over the, their God's victory over the gods of the Israelites. And so it's kind of like their version of the Lord's Supper. And um, uh, they're saying, our God has given Samson into our hands. And they bring him out and they start to, to mock him and, and, and use him as like a like a that's party entertainment, and there's like three thousand people there, and uh, Samson cries the Lord and asks the Lord to give him strength one more time, uh, as he's as he's leaned on the pillars of the of the house that they're worship, that they're that they're partying in. Um, the Lord does that. He pushes out the pillars. the The roof comes down on the tops of the heads of the Philistines, and he gains a greater victory in his death than he did in his life. Um, and then his brothers come, his family comes and gets him, and, and they bury him. Uh, and he, he had judged Israel for 20 years. And he began to save them from the Philistines. What is intriguing about this 
cycle with Samson is that the, the Israelites did not even cry out for God to rescue them. Uh, in fact, they conspired with the Philistines to hand Samson over to them, but, but God was still gracious and still used Samson despite Samson's flaws. Jeff, Peyton, things you'd add there, guys? Thank you. Summarize it well. It's a, a long narrative, but it all links together. So thanks. Yeah. So I think each judge becomes, the major judges, each narrative becomes longer. And so, so you have Samson being the longest narrative. Peyton. Yeah, I yeah, I thought that was a wonderful summary. I think it's super uh important what John said there at the end about the fact that this is the first time that we see the people of Israel not actually crying out for salvation. They're not crying out for help. Yet over and over during the four chapters of the Samson narrative, we see the Lord taking initiative. So it's the spirit of the Lord rushing upon Samson over and over and over again. And even, you know, we were looking at chapter 15, um, or excuse me, we were looking at chapter 14 where we're, uh, we're talking about how Samson uh, saw this woman right in his own eyes, go get her for me. The very next verse says, uh, and yet this was from the Lord. And so over and over and over, this is the Lord's prerogative and raising up Samson to deliver the people though not only do they not deserve it, but they're not even asking for it. They're not even looking for it. All right, let's jump in, in the, to uh, textual questions. So, John, you brought up at least one would be, um, is Samson all good? Is he all bad? Or is he in the middle? Uh, just want to talk about that. What are some other textual issues that arise that you felt like, I need to at least consider whether to unpack these for my people, or I did unpack them? Yeah, so I, I think... I think when you're preaching through Samson, this may be the easiest place in the scripture to bring up the continuity and uh, the differences between the Spirit's operation in the Old and New Testaments. Um, and so we see the Spirit coming on Samson, leaving, departing Samson, coming back on Samson. How do you deal with that? I, I find people ask that question all the time. Uh, and so I think it's just something to bring up. So I heard it. So uh, uh, a friend of mine, Alan Brumbach, who's the new pastor or new pastor, just celebrated a year at First Baptist Naples, um, was talking about the operation of the Spirit in the Old Testament. And the illustration he used, I thought, was really uh, clever and helpful. He said the Spirit in the Old Testament is kind of like when when you're playing Super Mario and you get the star, <laughs> and you're like invincible for like 20 seconds, and then it's over, <laughs> and then. Hopefully you'll get another star down the line, and uh, that is that is kind of the way it's it, the spirits indwelling and operation. It's and even just indwelling um, may not even be the right uh, word, right? The spirit of the Lord it says about Samson began to stir him or it rushed upon him, and so that that idea of the star and and being equipped for a very specific task uh, and a time conditioned you know time focused task mm -hmm. is different from our experience. Um, as New Testament believers who have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit, and so I think I think that is a good a good point and, and something that would be helpful probably to bring out in a sermon. Uh, if you're wanting to look at um, Jim Hamilton's book on the Holy Spirit in the um, the little Knack theology series, um, I'll try to remember it by the end of the, the podcast. He he deals with the difference between um, the Spirit being with people in the Old Testament and the Spirit being in people. 
in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to look at that kind of progressive revelation, Jim Hamilton's book is a good one. Jeff, any textual issues that you want to highlight? I mean, I think uh, some of the difficulties that they've, they've mentioned there, and I'm sure we'll get on to, was Samson good or bad? We'll also have to address just some of the, the serious consequences and killings that have happened uh, that people will have questions with as well. Even to the point, that actually, some people might be more troubled about how foxes were treated, even than humans. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but that's that could happen. Uh, and yet, yeah, so a lot of the text, though, uh, I think uh, the narrative will speak for itself. Significance of the Nazarite vow. I mean, I, yeah, so then you go ahead, Jeff. Well, it's, yeah, comes up in, in chapter 13. That's why it will be needed to be highlighted throughout because those, the Nazarite vow, don't drink from the vine whether it's alcoholic or even non-alcoholic, avoid contact with dead body, don't cut the hair. All those Nazarite vows detailed in number six uh, is going to come up later on in the narrative. So it has to be re- uh, reminded just that he set apart. And unlike the Nazarite vow uh, for folks, it was maybe for a period of time. He's from birth, really, to the end. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. John, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, yeah, number six gives that. And as Jeff said, it's it's not always a for life type thing, but it, it obviously is a, it's set up as a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the, in the narrative. And, and it also, again, just to set up that he's, he is specially set apart for this specific function that the Lord's raising him up for. He, he's, the, to my recollection, again, it's been a year since we talked about this at length, but this is the only judge that we're told, like from birth, was birthed with the specific mission mm. that he is going to be a judge, mm. and that he is mm. he is being raised up to save, um, and so that's that's unique here, mm. uh, and so that kind of helps set that that up. Yeah, I think I think too, going back to the question of is he all good, is he all bad? I think the answer is a lot more complicated than that. But I think the fact that from the very beginning of the narrative. In chapter 13, Samson's being mentioned as this man who from birth is being set apart for a specific mission uh, under a specific vow. I think we're meant to pay attention throughout the next several chapters of looking at how he doesn't live up to that, right? Like he doesn't live up to the purity of the vow. He doesn't live up to the standard of the vow. And yet he was set apart from birth and at the end of his life, um, he gives his life doing exactly what he was born to do. And so I, th- I think it's really supposed to create this narrative tension, right? Of, you know, there's, there's complexity to Samson. Um, and so I think, I think the vow is super important for us to begin to look through that lens, reading the whole narrative, seeing how he goes away from it, but then also seeing how ultimately he ends his life doing what he was set apart to do from birth. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.